fully expected Florida to win and Kentucky to lose, and then I'd have to have to have. So I was ready to go to Walmart last night and buy me a Gators T-shirt, but then the Gators ended up losing, so that made my bracket go kaput. And definitely, I did not pick Kentucky to be in it. But however, I'm happy, and I've been saying it all along. God must really love me because the Wildcats are winning, and um, so praise God. And those of you who are from Connecticut, I still love you, and um, and uh, we'll just pray for you. So um, anyway. <laughs> Um, but this whole series has been about uh, not sharing Jesus and how that is absolutely madness. If you have your Bibles, open those please to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, this has been our text for this uh, little mini-series. Um, this is basically all about being a fan. We've talked about how uh, at this time of the year, um, <clears throat> people start off following their, their, their team to wherever they're playing. Um, but the longer they go into the tournament... The louder they get, the louder they get, the, m- the more rabid the fans get. And in fact, uh, a lot of folks in Kentucky I know were waiting to see if they won last night, and there's a ton of them traveling to Dallas this morning. Um, I, know, I know one right particular, in particular, that is going to Dallas on his way right now so he can be there for the finals. Um, and so uh, th- this is just the way it is at the, the tournament time, the louder the fans get the longer their team goes in the tournament. And um, there is no hesitation about holding back. I mean, they don't hold back nothing right now. They don't care if the only tickets they can get is in the opposing team's uh, fan base. Um, you know, I found a picture online of a guy sitting at a, at a, um, a Florida game uh, who was a South Carolina fan, and he's holding up a – he's surrounded by orange, and he's got on a maroon shirt – and holding up one sign that says, Go Gamecocks. And he's not a bit ashamed of that sign at all in a sea of, of uh, Florida fans. And that's the way it is um, in the world. Uh, they, they are not afraid to uh, march into the lion's den, uh, so to speak, and, and, and uh, proclaim the love of their team. However, here in the United States, and we said this to you the first week, 78% of Americans consider themselves to be Christians. 78%. That's well over three quarters. That is well bigger than the numbers that we would even think. I mean, there's a lot of folks saying that Muslims are the fastest growing religion in the world. It is not. Christianity actually is still the fastest growing religion. That's just hype. It is absolutely hype for all oh, Muslims are the fastest growing religion. No, it isn't. Actually, Christianity um, outperformed last year uh, uh, as far as growth um, all the other religions, uh, including uh, um, Islam. And so Christianity is the fastest growing religion in the world. But here in the United States, it's not. Here in the United States, it's, it, is, it is definitely the largest, but it's not the fastest growing. Um, they, uh, we, we have 78% of the population. And yet, uh, I said to you the quote the first week that the, the one sure thing uh, to make sure evil prevails is for good men to do nothing. And uh, that's happening. Uh, here in the United States, we have Christians who proclaim the Lord Jesus over their life that are afraid to say anything about it. They're afraid to offend. They're afraid to bother. And you know what? We're, we're, our, our places of work and our places of, of go to school and all those, they're not making it any easier for us by telling us it's not acceptable uh, and by basically trying to program us into shutting up. But the thing is, is the more we shut up, the worse it's going to get. Come on, somebody. And we need to do something about that. We need to proclaim Jesus higher and louder. And, uh, and the reason is, is because it's our job. 
It isn't nobody else's job. It's our job. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 18 says this, And all of this is a gift from God who brought us, come on, say us, back to himself through Christ. And God has given to, there's that word again, us, come on, say it loud, us, this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave, come on now, us, this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we can be made right with God through Christ. It's us, y'all. It's not anybody else. It can't be somebody else. It can't be just waiting on your neighbor or waiting on the preacher or waiting on the evangelist. Listen, it's us. It's all of us together. And even though it is something to see somebody like Ryan Harbonke give a million-person altar call, that's amazing. It is amazing to see Billy Graham and, and his association empty the, the stands at a baseball stadium, uh, people coming to Christ. That's amazing. But collectively, we can do way more than that. And you know we should. We should be doing more than that. And so I said to you the first week that the reason that we need to share Jesus is because we love him the most. And people that are not uh, ashamed to share things that they're the most proud of. I can remember I talked to you about people that get engaged. The first thing you see is on Facebook, that, that engagement picture. And they're putting that, the, the, she's behind him with her arms up on his shoulders so that everybody sees that ring. And uh, those people that have good marriages are not afraid to tell people how wonderful their marriage is and how wonderful their spouse is. In fact, yesterday, one of our church members was bragging on her husband cleaning out her car. How wonderful, feeling loved. And I saw where she was taking bids. That, you know, if anybody wanted to hire him, to come do that. Um, but, you know, when you're the most proud of something, you'll share it. And so if, you have, if you're ashamed to share Jesus, I wonder how much do you really love him? And, and if you don't, then you need to spend more time with him. You need to spend more time talking about him. You need to spend more time talking to him. You need to spend more time in his word so that you fall in love with him. We need to also share Jesus because he told us to do so. That was the other part I said to you, is that he ordered us. Didn't say, hey, if this is okay with you, if this will fit into your schedule, hey, if, uh, if everybody around you is not too worried about it, would you please tell people the good news? No, he told us to do it, period. And so we should uh, be going and do it. The other th reason we said to you is, is that we should share it, share him, because it has a direct result on our own um, spiritual growth. The best way to grow uh, in your relationship with God is to give what you know about God away. Why? Because when you give him away, you're making more of him. If I give you what I know about God, uh, then I have more room for what I need to know about God. Remember Luke 6.38 says, if you give, it'll be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Um, that's whatever you give. So if I'm giving out more of God, then guess what I'm going to get back? More of God. So then we start talking about how we do that. What do we do? How do we do that? And I said, it's, it's, it's two things. It's in what you say. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you don't know a lot of theology. And, you know, I, don't, I can't really share God theologically because I don't know a lot of the Word. That's okay. You can still tell somebody what God did for you. 
God did something for everybody in here. And if we just took a few minutes to think about it, you could probably tell me what God's done for you. And you know, that's what you ought to be sharing. Well, I was on my way to hell and I'm not going anymore. Well, that's good enough. Let's start right there. <laughs> you know, I should have died 13 years ago because I was in the hospital and they gave me up to die. But you know what? I'm still here. Well, let's start there. Hey, God brought me out of a hospital bed. Come on, I, I shouldn't be here anymore. My, my husband used to beat me and bury me under the house. And you know what? I'm not anymore. I'm good. I'm healthy. I'm, hey, let's start there. What did God do for you? That's where you need to stay, and that's what you need to be saying. Tell people what God's done for you. Then we start talking about what you do, that your actions speak louder than your words, and that we should act holy as Jesus acts holy. And so what does that mean? Does that mean we get into rules and regulations and all this stuff? No, that means we love people. Come on, the way Jesus loved people. You know, I can't go and tell somebody Jesus loves them if I haven't experienced that myself. And so I need to love people the same way Jesus loves people. And that we ought to act, that, that should cause us to act different. I said this last week to a rousing response. I said we ought to tip more. There's that rousing response again. We ought to put our buggies away at Walmart instead of letting them fly down the parking lot. We ought to smile, wish people a good day. We ought to be the last person to dogpile on somebody when, they're, when something's going wrong. We ought to believe the best about people even though nobody else can. I remember one time uh, my mentor, uh, Brother Hagen, was, was doing a funeral for a guy. And he said, he said, this is the truth. He said, that guy was the worst guy in town. Nobody liked this guy. I mean, when you saw him, he did his best to just make you mad and just tell you how awful you are. And he just... Just, just gave it, and so they asked Brother Hagen when this guy died to do the funeral because nobody else in town would do it. <laughs> and so they came and asked him, they said, would you do the funeral? And he's like, well, yeah. And he goes, I determined that I was not going to go to the platform and just get on this guy and dogpile like the rest of the, the, the city has. And he goes, and believe me, I had every, every temptation to because he never said a good word to me, never was nice to me. And he said, I thought and thought, and he said, here I am the day before the service, still thinking of trying to see something nice, couldn't think of anything. And he goes, I finally got up to the, walk up to the platform, and the Lord said, you ever notice he had, did have a nice smile? He had nice teeth. And he's like, well, I guess that's what I'm talking about. And he got up and he just said that. Just said that. He said, well, you know, he did have a nice smile. Didn't dogpile on him like everybody else did. And I believe the story goes that actually some people got saved from that message. Now what if he got up there and just dogpiled on that guy like everybody else had? See, we ought to act different. Amen? Amen. So, uh, Jesus didn't just live in love and kindness, though. Jesus also lived and performed and did things with power. And, uh, you know, you ought to do the same thing. Now what do we mean by that? Well, turn over to Mark chapter 16. We're going to go to the Great Commission, but I want to look in verse 17. You, as a Christian, and I don't care what your background is, I don't care how you've been raised, you, as a Christian, ought to expect the power of God to transfer to others through you. They should, it, it should be uh, transferring through you. Mark chapter 16, verse 17 says this, these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. Now, I want to focus right here for a second. It doesn't say, the, now he's talking to the disciples here. Now, he's talking about the 12 
that walked around with him. You know, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Thaddeus. I mean, we could just keep naming them, you know. Um, they, they, they're all there. And these are the guys that built the church. And this is who he's talking to. But he doesn't say these miraculous signs will accompany you. Notice he doesn't say that. He says these signs will accompany those who believe. Who's he talking about? Everybody else that gets saved should have these signs following them. Now that should have got a better amen than that. Everybody that gets saved should have these signs following them. Everybody. What does that mean? The power of God should be flowing out of you to cause these kind of things to happen. They'll cast out demons in my name. Everybody calm down. We're not having a demon casting out service right now. They'll speak in new tongues. Everybody calm down. We're not going to start shouting in tongues. Okay. They'll be handled, they will be able to handle snakes with safety. Really, calm down. Anybody else see that story about the guy in Kentucky that died a few years ago? He's a legend in Kentucky because that church has been around for a long time. And he died because one of his snakes bit him. And he wouldn't go to the hospital. Bless his darling heart. They'll drink, and if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. We're not doing that. They will be able to place their hands on the sick, and they shall be healed. We are going to do that here in a few minutes. When the Lord Jesus had finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand, and the disciples went everywhere and preached. Now watch this. And the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. Now catch this. What did he tell them to do? He told them to go get people saved so that other people can do this. So if he was confirming that with miraculous signs, that means that he, they went out, preached the gospel, and people went out and did these signs. So that means Christians everywhere should be able to perform these signs. You should be able to share Jesus because not only are you kind and loving and have a good story, but you walk in power. It is not a weird thing to expect or want the power of God. It is not a weird thing to demonstrate the power of God. Now, I will say this, there are some weirdos out there who have made it spooky and made it weird, but it is not a weird thing for the power of God to manifest. How do you know that? Well, how do you think you got saved? Was that spooky? Was that weird? When you got saved, I mean, was it a weird, I mean, spooky, you know, oh, no, but it was the same power. Come on, somebody. It was the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's the same power that healed lepers. It's the same power that caused tumors to fall off people. It's the same power that raised Lazarus from the dead. It's the same power that saves you. And so it is not weird, it is not spooky to experience the power of God. We all wouldn't be sitting here in a relationship with Him without it. Okay? You've experienced it in your life, whether you realize it or not. Somebody else shared the power of God with you, and that's how you got saved. 
Some of you that have walked in divine healing, somebody else shared the power of the healing power of God with you, and that's how you got saved. But listen, salvation and even healing is just a part of the power of God. It's a small part. Now, those are important parts. Don't get me wrong. I'm not minimizing them. Listen, the saving power of God is, but believe me, I believe is the most important because without it, we're all going to hell. Well, I don't know if there is such a thing as hell. Read the Bible. There is. <laughs> okay? So if we're going to demonstrate and share Jesus in word or in deed, we have to communicate it in the power of God as well. Romans chapter 6, I mean, excuse me, chapter 1, verse number 16. Now I want you to re- hear what Paul says here. For I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ. Now check out the next words that he used here. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Now, what's he talking about here? Saving them from what? What do we need saving from? I mean, we throw that term around, I got saved. Anybody else? I mean, I say it all the time, I I got saved. When did you get saved? Anybody else say say that? I I saved. That's a church word, saved. You know the world doesn't even know what they need saving from? I mean, it's weird when we say it to people in the world because they go, saved from what? Well, I mean, we can talk about a lot of things. I mean, judgment and hell. Absolutely, I've been saved from that. I've been saved from the, from the judgment of God that's going to send me to hell. Why? Because Jesus took my place in front of it. So I've been saved from that. From the eternal damnation of hell, I've been saved from that. But you know that that's only part of what I've been saved from? When Jesus died, he didn't just die to save me from hell and save me from judgment. He died to save me from sickness Come on, he died to save me from poverty. He died to save me from anything bad that would rear its ugly head against me. And so when I say I've been saved, I, I don't mean I've just been saved from hell. I've been saved from everything. I mean, that, now listen, that doesn't mean things don't come against me. Things come against me. I got a challenges just like everybody. You got challenges? That doesn't mean, you know, listen to me. But you know what? It, just because it is tempting me to, to jump in and take part of that, uh, cha- this whatever it is coming against me. When I have a symptom in my body, well, I thought you've been saved from that. A, you know, a symptom in your body is no different than a doubt in your mind that you have of whether God's real. Now, y'all need to think about that for a second. That's a little bit deep. But a symptom in your body is exactly the same as when you have doubts about your walk with the Lord. Am I re- now, who would be honest enough to say, am I really saved? <laughs> I mean, anybody ever thought that? That's no different than a symptom in your body trying to say, hey, you know, you got the flu. It's the same. They're exactly the same. Why? We've been saved from hell. We've been saved from judgment. We've been saved from sickness, too. Listen, when you got no money in the bank and you go, I don't know how we're going to do it. I, I mean, I guess we're going to have to, and it's just not there. And, and oh my gosh, what are we going to do? That's the, same, that's the same as being tempted to not believe in Jesus as your Savior anymore. It's the same. 
We've been saved from poverty. We've been saved from the bad things that come against us. And just because we're not seeing it in our life doesn't mean God doesn't want it for us. He's provided it for us. It's up to us to reach out and get it. So if I'm going to go and, and share in that power, I have to understand that it, I have been saved or I have been born again or I've been bought away from, however you want to say it, from all the power of the devil. Colossians chapter 1, verse number 13. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transformed, uh, uh, transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Do you see that right there? That's not just a one-time thing there. Oh, oh yeah. uh, he's, per he's transferred us out of darkness uh, into the kingdom of light because he forgave us of our sins. No, it isn't just that. He purchased our freedom and forgave us our sins. So it's more than just being saved. It's more than that. He purchased our freedom from all those things, all right? So if I'm going to share in deed or in power and show the power of God, then I have to be expecting the power of God to flow through me. That means when you pray, you ought to expect God to answer. When you lay hands on a friend of yours that's sick, you ought to expect them to be healed. Why? Because you're a Christian and you're a dispenser of the power of God. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom and he now check this out and he healed every kind of disease and illness now notice he's not just out preaching that he's the way the truth of life he is and, and he did say that a million times but then he's also healing the sick all right when he saw the crowds he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like a sheep have uh, without a shepherd he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray, the Lord, uh, pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send out more workers into the field. Now check this out. Next chapter, first verse, chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus called his 12 disciples together. And what did he do? Did he go and say, okay, everybody, go tell them that they need to believe in me. Now check this out. This is Jesus sending out the 12. He didn't go and say, all right, go and get and, and preach just salvation just to preach believing in me that's not what he does here he gives them power verse number one jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness now what is he doing here he's given them the power to go and demonstrate who he is to everybody else. How many of you know it's good news to somebody that's sick when they get healed? How many of you know it's good news to somebody who ain't got no money in the bank and suddenly God meets their need? That's good news, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I've been there. I've been there and, and looked at the bank account and gone, uh, how are we going to do this? And somebody just pop into your life and just go, you know, the Lord's been dealing with me here. Or somebody buys your lunch or that, that man alive, that'll make you, that's good news. Okay? We ought to expect God's power to move through our prayers for somebody else. We should expect them to get better when they're sick. Now, why do we want that? Is it so we can be weird, make people feel spooky, and have this weird experience? And No. 
Is it so that we can build our own television ministry and have all these partners that follow us and send us offerings? And No. Is it so that, you know, we, we just, well, you know, the Bible does call us a peculiar people, so, I mean, we've got to act a little bit weird. No. No. It's because we're communicating. God wants to have a relationship with them. And what better way that he could have a relationship with him than to reach down and touch them right where they are? To confirm what you're saying with, about him. So real quick, I'm going to give you three points. Real quick, real fast three. How do we do that? How do we demonstrate in, in our, by our story? How do we demonstrate by our kindness? And how do we demonstrate by the power of God working through us? How do we do that? Well, the first thing, and this is basic. This is going to be real basic. First thing is this. You know you need to build a relationship with somebody. There's an old saying that we used to, we used, we used to say this is the youth ministry mantra. Because I was, I was a youth pastor for 21 years. I mean, and I, I still, I, I'm probably doing some summer camps this year. And just did one down in West Palm not too long, uh, not too long ago. Just, it wasn't a youth uh, summer camp. It was a, uh, it was a revival. I've been doing youth ministry for 22 years, and we used to make, we would, when we taught this in Bible college to other kids studying to be youth ministries, this was the mantra. If you don't know anything else, know this. Kids don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Well, you know what? I've, 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 I've advanced that a little further. This is the ministry in general mantra. <laughs> You're going to be a Christian, this should be your mantra. They don't care how much you know about Jesus or how much Jesus you have until they know you care about him. Why should I listen to you if I don't know you? Now, I remember one time I was sitting in a, in a uh, Burger King in uh, Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, and I had the youth group with me. This is when I was doing youth ministry full-time, and I had my youth group there. And, you know, when you have a church that big, you have a youth group that's pretty big. I mean... The youth group, the high school alone was 250, 300. And with junior high, we had about five, 600. And, and so when we rolled in somewhere, <laughs> it's just forget it, we're taking over. I'm sorry, uh, I'm, we're not trying to be difficult, but when you roll into a, a Burger King after a Wednesday night service with, you know, 125 teenagers, everybody's just, they're, they're going to leave. <laughs> There's just no other way to say it. And so we go in there, and so we're all sitting, and it's one of those, you know, church-type gatherings. Everybody's sitting and laughing, and literally you could hear pockets of just laughter of people having fun all over the restaurant, and everybody's just having a great time. And there's this old just codger, man. He's just sitting right in the middle of all of it, and he's got his arms folded, and he's just watching all this. And I'm watching him out of the corner of my eye because, you know, I'm, I mean, even though we're not at a church function we're at one of those unofficial church functions, so I'm still somewhat responsible for everybody. You know what I mean? They all drove there themselves, and they're all going to leave on their own. But if anything happens there, I'm the one getting the phone call. You know what I mean? And so I'm kind of watching this old codger Scrooge of a guy, and I'm watching. And all of a sudden, he just gets up and walks over to this one table that has some pretty spiritually mature teenagers at it. And he just goes, you know, you're all just... You're all just too bubbly, and you're just too happy, and you know, you know, you're all just coming in here, and you're just having too much fun, and they're all just like, "Well, sorry, sir, we just got out of church, you know, we're just having a good time." And he starts preaching to them about trying the spirits, and you should try the spirits, and you shouldn't just accept anything because a, a man preaches it to you, and you should try the spirits, and you should just make sure, and and he's just going on, and you know what? What he was saying was right. 
I mean, they were probably being a little obnoxious. But he was, he was being true. You shouldn't just accept it because a man teaches it to you. I, I agree with that. I, I don't think that they, you know, and, and, and you know, because Rhema is what it is, and, and that's where, you know, Rhema was the Bible college I was, and the church I was working at. Um, it is what it is. I and mean, it's, a, it's a large ministry. And so, you know, there's going to be all kinds of opinions. And so, you know, I agree. There's going to be, you know, people are going to, you shouldn't just accept it because I say it. You ought to accept it because the word says it. And so, and so I'm listening to him tell them that. He, and, you know, you ought not just accept it because uh, Daddy Hagen says it. And that's, you know, and he's just going on and on. And just, you ought just, you, you. And, and so I walk over and I'm like, sir, these are kids. They're all 15, 16, 17 years old. Um, you know, we're, we're sorry if we bothered you. And he goes, no. And then he turns and looks at me and points his bony finger at me. And, you should try the spirits too. And I just, something on me, on the, I, I kind of felt like Jesus at the money changers thing. I mean, that anger rose up on the inside of me and i wanted so badly to just because i was big then i was 350 pounds then and i just wanted to just lay hands on him suddenly <laughs> you know what i mean and i just <clears throat> and i just i got real mad though and i just said look sir we don't know you and we don't know if we should listen to anything you say so why don't you take your own advice and shut up <laughs> he looked at me real funny and I said, I just tried your spirit, and you failed. Now get away from us. Leave these kids alone. Now that's harsh, and that's mean, and I was a little younger and full of vinegar then. So, um, but, but the point was this. Why should I listen to you? I don't know you. Why should you? I mean, even if you came over here and, and you told me everything, and it was just right on the money, why should I listen to you? I don't know you. I don't know anything about you. What we say may be right to people out there. Some of you may go and tell somebody Jesus loves them, but why should they listen to you if they don't know you? If there's no relationship there, there's no bridge of trust there, why would they listen to you? Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Well, people will. People go to, you know, large crusades and stuff and get saved all the time, and they take what the preacher's saying. There's a trust factor that gets built in large evangelistic meetings because you have something else to offer. Now, whether, listen, this will get into, we can get into the mentality of things, and I'm not, neg I'm not, I'm not negating the power of God at all. All right? But when you go into a large, now, how many of you went down to the Reinhardt Bonnke thing at the Amway Center? That was impressive. I mean, there's 20-some thousand people there. Anybody ever been to a big crusade like that? No matter who it is, I mean, you just go see anybody. You go to a big crusade, and you walk in, there's 25,000 people there. What are they offering? What are they saying that you don't get just walking up to somebody on the street? They're saying, hey, there's 25,000 other people who believe like us. You know you should believe like us, too. So they're offering... A majority, I mean, you're, you're now suddenly outnumbered by a lot of people, so it, it, it will move people. It'll move people, okay? You go to a healing crusade, you, you see thousands of people. I mean, I, 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 we were at the Mid-South Coliseum in, in, um, in uh, Memphis, Tennessee one time at a Benny Hinn crusade, and Jody's family's known Benny for years, and so we had great seats. We were right down next to the stage, and we're watching, and it's just empty wheelchairs are being pulled up. People are watching. I mean, amazing things are happening. 
What are they offering that you don't? They're offering, listen, there's thousands of people getting healed here. You know, you ought to accept this. See, they're, they're building a bridge of trust by simply overwhelming you with the power of God and the presence of God and all the people that are there. Okay? God's confirming what they're saying in vast numbers. Well, unless you are start, unless you walk up and are packing a real healing anointing that you're going to lay hands on them and suddenly they're going something amazing is going to happen. You know, you ought to build a relationship with them then. Now that doesn't mean if God moves on, God moves on you and you, you suddenly feel the fire of God in your hand and it's going. Oh my gosh, this is for somebody. And okay, that's a different story. But what if that doesn't happen? Then what are you going to do? I'm going to build a relationship with them. I'm going to get them. I'm going to get to know them for who they are and who I am. Listen, outreaches that go out into the public, they work because they they build a bridge of trust into people's lives. Why? Because they're giving them something. We're working on something right now. We're going to do what we call hygiene packs. We're going to hand out to people that are homeless out there and, 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 and out on the streets. We're going to give them stuff as socks and mouthwash and toothpaste and and um, what else was in there? Band-Aid. I mean, just little things that they would need on a daily basis that people would take for granted. And immediately, by giving them something like that, it immediately builds a bridge of trust into their life. We don't have time. Listen, you don't have time to go out and build a relationship with everybody. But you know what? There are people that you should be building a relationship with. Why? Because you're the one that can get them saved. You're the one that can share Jesus with them. And so you should go out. All right? Matthew chapter 25, Jesus talked about feeding the home, uh, feeding people and clothing people. And then he, he said, he, they said, well, when did we see you like that? And he said, when you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. Remember that? That's what he's talking about. Going out and offering people something, that changes them. Well, what if you ain't got nothing to offer them? I don't have nothing I can put in their hand. I don't have a dollar to my name to, to buy them a, even a cup of coffee or a loaf of I can't do nothing. What are you going to do then? I got a relationship with them. And a relationship builds that trust. Okay? Being a friend and loving people in a relationship is actually the best way to get them to hear about Jesus from you. Check this out. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 15. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone ask you about your christian hope always be ready to explain it who's going to ask you that who's going to ask you that most of the yeah, see, most of the time it isn't going to be some stranger just walk up to you and just go can you explain to me why your life is so good how do they even know your life's good paul's talking about building or peter's talking about building a relationship with people and those are the people who are going to ask you Okay? Next thing, quick point. Don't force it. Let people see it. We're so worried about worldly people doing worldly things. And, you know, I know a lot of people have a, an, an opinion about this Noah movie that's out right now. And it's, in spirit, it's scripturally incorrect. I haven't seen it. I've I, just heard a lot of people talking about it. But here's the thing I want to say. It was made by non-Christians. So guess what? They're probably going to get it wrong. You know why? Because they don't know the story like we do. They don't. 
And yet we're all so concerned about a non-Christian making a, a Christian a, a movie about something that we call, it's, this is our text and this is our, I'm thrilled the fact that he even thought about it. Because I know, I, the guy that directed it, atheist. <laughs> I mean, he's like seriously, like, demented. Like, some of the movies he's made are very disturbing. And for him to even sit down and go and actually admit to pulling out the Bible and reading about Noah, to me, is volumes being spoken. What? Why? Why? Because he's, it's, he's seeing it. You can't help but see that. Is it wrong? Sure. Did he get it wrong? Absolutely. Is it probably dumb? Yes, I agree. But I don't need to freak out on him. He's a sinner. They're going to get it wrong. We feel like we have to force the issue of Christ if people get it wrong. You know what it's going to make the biggest impact? In spite of the spiritual inaccuracies of Noah, we go out and do some good work in the community for people who need to know Jesus. That's going to make a bigger impact than us make, raising us think about Noah being wrong. Okay? Matthew chapter 5, verse number 16. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. I don't have to force what I believe. I can show what I believe and allow all those around me who are wrong to see what's right. Being challenged to share Jesus doesn't mean you have to do it while you're supposed to be working either. You know, that's not the right time. I got, I, listen, I, went, I was teaching at Bible college, and we'd have students that were getting fired all the time because they just felt like they had to preach while they're, while they're on the clock. Listen, if you're on the clock, that's not the time to be preaching. That's the time to act like, you're, act like you should. You should act like a preacher. You should act like, like a Christian. You should walk in good character. But, you know, you ought not take your employees' money and stop and tell somebody about Jesus. Should have got a better amen than that. We shouldn't be forcing this thing to happen. We ought to be showing people how it happens. Amen? We don't force it. Lastly is this. You know, we ought not be weird when we're praying or ministering to other people. Now, what do you mean by that, Pastor Brent? What do you mean, weird? Jesus said we should all have signs follow us. And a lot of people automatically thought that it had to be weird. It had to cause a scene. Now, some of you actually push back against me as soon as I start talking about this today because you think it's weird that I, I tell you you should pray for people. I was at Jacksonville this week at the, at the ARC conference, which is who helped us plant the ARC organization. And there was probably 6,000 people there. There's a lot of people in this conference, most of them pastors. And I went to a gas station to get gas to come home. And uh, this guy walked up to me and was, was uh, wanting me to buy a surround sound system out of his car. A little fishy, isn't it? Red flag. And so then he gets to talking to me, and he goes, are you from here? And I said, no, I'm from Orlando. Oh, okay, what are you doing down here? I'm at this conference down here at Celebration Church. Oh, man, it's a big church down there. He goes, what do you do? And I go, I'm a pastor in Orlando. And when I said that, I kid you not, that's all I said. There was no, I'm a pastor, brother. And you know, I walk in the power and the favor of the Lord. None of that. I said, I pastor in Orlando, and I'm not joking. 
just looked him right in the eye and said that. Goosebumps. Both arms. Covered. He just immediately broke out in goosebumps. And he starts breathing heavy. And, and he goes, God's trying to tell me something. You're like the fifth or sixth person. And he wasn't talking about pastors because I asked him. He goes, you're the fifth or sixth person that, that's a hardcore Christian that I've come across past just in the last two days. Now, what are we talking about here? It doesn't have to be weird. All I said was I'm a pastor. I say that 50 times a week. It doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be, oh, brother. Let me take my coat off and throw it at you. The opportunity to share and pray without being weird happens all the time. We're the ones that make it weird. That guy's, I mean, I didn't touch the guy, didn't say anything, but I'm a pastor in Orlando. And I mean, goosebumps all the way down both arms. His breathing changed, his eyes got big, he changed right in front of me. What happened there? He experienced the power of God without it being weird. If you're taking notes, write this down. A genuine move of God will always produce fruit in people's lives for his glory without your help. We don't have to make it weird. We can simply say one word from him and it'll produce a fruit in somebody's life. We don't need to use phrases like, well, how about if I agree with you? Listen to me. I preach the prayer of agreement. I say it all the time, but people that out there, they don't know what that means. How about if I cast that off of you? We don't, mm -mm, sorry, I'm not using that out there. Okay? Put ourselves in, uh, in other people's shoes who aren't familiar with what we are or what we believe. And lastly, make sure we do it at the appropriate time. If it never looks like the right time, you're not looking hard enough. Because there's always a time for you to be a light to the world. Amen? Amen. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Lord, thank you for our time together today. Lord, I thank you that you desire to use us to reach the world. And Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name, Lord, that if there are people here who don't know you, or there are people here that want to be used by you, Lord, I pray that they'll use these three little simple steps today, and that they go out and they share Jesus with others. And Lord, that it won't be something that's maddening. It'll be something that is automatic it'll be something that they do all the time i thank you for that in the name of jesus now if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with jesus i want to say to you that you have no hope now you you might think that you know maybe it's resisting and whatever and man you don't know me and I'm saying you don't have no hope for an eternity because you don't know Jesus. He's the only way that you can have an eternal hope where you'll spend the rest of your life in heaven. It's the only way. And so what I want to do today is I want to introduce you to him and I want to say a simple prayer with you that you can accept Jesus into your life. And you can get saved from hell and judgment, but you can get saved from poverty, sickness, and all the other things that come against us. I want you to say this prayer with me. Father, I come to you today a sinner. And I believe 
that Jesus is your son. I believe that you raised him from the dead. And I believe that he's Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Make me a new creature. In Jesus' name, amen.